Luke chapter 2, and we will pick up reading this time in verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Father, there is good news of great joy. I pray that you'll help me to preach it that way and us to receive it that way and to believe in and to rejoice over this good news and over this son of yours that you have sent. And we pray in his name. Amen. Good news of great joy. Verse 10. That is what the angel announced to the shepherds that first Christmas night in the countryside outside of Bethlehem. And that's what I've come this morning all these years and all these miles later to announce to you on this Christmas morning. Good news of great joy in the birth of Christ. Good news of great joy in the coming of a Savior. Good news of great joy which will be for all the people including you and I today, in a setting so different from that of Bethlehem, and yet with the same needs in our souls as Mary and Joseph and the shepherds of old. Behold, I bring you this morning good news of great joy. And I want to zero in this morning on that word news there in verse 10. It's an incredibly helpful word, news, is in understanding that first Christmas and really in understanding Christianity as a whole. And so we'll do well to take note of that word news this morning and to think in particular about what news actually is. And so think that out with me for a moment or two. What is news? Well, news, I think you will agree, is at its core an announcement. News is a proclamation. News is a heralding of some event or events. That's why there are newspapers called the Herald, because that's what news is at its essence. The heralding, the proclamation of some event, the announcement of something that is newsworthy, something that has been done or something that has been said or something that has been decided or something that is going to take place that is of interest to the general public. News is a proclamation, an announcement, and it's important to notice that this is the sort of speech in which the angel is engaging here in Luke 10 and following. Behold, I bring you good news. He does not appear in the night sky to give the shepherds instructions, but to proclaim to them a piece of news, to make an announcement Namely, today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel does not come, in other words, with a list of things he wants the shepherds to do, but with an announcement about something that has already been done. Something outside of themselves, something done by another, something which they should appropriately respond to, yes, of course, and yet it's not something that they themselves must make happen. And that's what news is, right? News is a proclamation, not first of all about what must be done, but about what has been done. And this angel came, 
I say bringing news, bringing a proclamation, not a set of instructions. And I draw that distinction this morning because we may sometimes get the idea or even portray the idea that Christianity is really about rules, really all about what we must do. That Christianity is actually a set of instructions of how we are to appease God. And of course there are rules and there are instructions that God has given to us and they're important. But I want you to see that when the angel appeared that night in the sky and in the fields round about Bethlehem, he did not come to them with instructions but with an announcement. Behold, I bring you good news. Did you hear it? The heavenly messengers did not come to the shepherds announcing to them what they must do to be right with God, but with a proclamation about something that had been done, something God had done on their behalf. I bring you good news for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel came with a proclamation, with a heralding, with an announcement, with news. And you know, this is not just the way of things at Christmas, but in Christianity as a whole. Not just in Luke chapter 2, in other words, but throughout the whole Bible, the Christian message, the message that I bring to you today, is much more about news than it is, first of all, about instructions. The Christian message is much more about what has been done than what we must do ourselves. Because the message of Jesus and of his apostles and of the writers of the Old Testament was ever this same message of this angel. Not a list of things that you do to save yourself, but a heralding of the fact that God was sending and has now sent a Savior. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And do you see the difference between the two? Christianity has rules, but Christianity is not based on rules. Christianity comes with instructions, but Christianity is not like a Christmas Lego kit in which we must perfectly follow all the instructions if things are going to turn out right for us. No, Christianity is first and foremost about news, about something that has happened outside of us and for us. Christianity is an announcement Not about what we must do, but about something that God has done. And something that he has done for all who have not actually followed his instructions. And so this morning, like the angels so long ago, I come as a herald. I come with a proclamation, with an announcement. Not about what you must do, first of all, but about what God has done for you in Christ. Behold, I bring you today good news. And the news today is the same as it was in the mouths of the Old Testament prophets, the same as it was in the mouth of the angel, and in the mouth of Jesus and his apostles, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's the whole message of the Bible, really, at its core. God sending, and now God having sent a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God has not sent me to you this morning, and God has not brought you to me this morning so I could tell you to clean up your own act so as to make yourself acceptable to this Son of God who is coming or has come into the world. That would be instructions, but I come today bearing news rather than instructions. Namely, 
Instead of asking you to save yourself, I come today telling you that God has sent you someone to save you himself. God has not sent me today to tell you in the primary place about good behavior, but to proclaim to you good news. And if you want to follow along in your mind now, or even on paper, you'll notice that over the next few minutes, I simply want to say three things from our passage this morning about this news. Three things, and the first, I think, is the most obvious of all, namely, that this news about the Savior is good news. Verse 10, I bring you good news, indeed, news of great Joy, happy news, news worth rejoicing over, news to make the heart glad. That's what the angel was announcing that night. And the reason this news was so good is because in verse 11, it was news of a Savior. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. The angel did not say once again that a king was being born in Bethlehem, and therefore you need to fix yourself up before you see him. Nor did he announce the coming of a king born in Bethlehem to condemn those who have not measured up, but the coming of a king born in Bethlehem who would save people, who would rescue people. Today has been born for you a Savior. And that begs the question, of course, a Savior from what? Rescue from what? Well, Jesus' stepfather was given this Answer the answer to this question of what are we being saved from in that other famous Christmas passage over in Matthew chapter 1, where an angel spoke to him as well and said to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. That's why his name was Jesus. The English name Jesus. If you trace it back into the Hebrew language, is Yeshua or Joshua. And the Hebrew meaning of Yeshua or Joshua is very simply the Lord saves. And that's why Jesus had that name, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, as we put it in English. Because he was coming as a Savior. And to save people, Matthew 1 tells us, particularly from our sin. We don't just need to be saved from a bad lot in life. We don't just need to be saved from the badness of the world around us. We don't just need to be saved from mediocrity. We need to be saved from our very own sin, from our offenses against our maker, from our breaking of God's law. And of course, the idea that Jesus came to save his people from their sins presupposes that we are sinners, that we do have a sin problem. We all have different ways that it comes out on the surface. Some of us struggle with a short temper, others with gluttony, some with pride, others with prayerlessness or lack of faith. And we could list a hundred other things that we know we shouldn't do, but which we find ourselves doing just the same, or a hundred more that we should do and we don't. And the fact that we all struggle with various items on that kind of a list shows that the problem is not just localized to a few bad habits or propensities. No, the fact that we all have these habits, we all have these propensities, demonstrates that the problem is more fundamental than just a few bad decisions, that there's a breakdown in our souls, that there's something wrong with us by nature. And this we can deduce not just by reading our own stories, but by reading the Bible, which proclaims in Romans 5 that we're all sinners by nature. 
The entire human race has been plunged into degradation ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin in the garden. And mankind has been reeling ever since. We see that in the news, don't we? Just the depths of the folly and the moral squalor to which people can sink. And we see it not only in those places in our culture where people have had every disadvantage and so you might expect them to make foolish and and sinful decisions, but we see it in the high levels of government and academia too, don't we? And all the places in between. We see it at every end of the spectrum, don't we? The whole of the human race, no matter where you find humans, you will find people acting sinfully. And we see those same propensities in our own hearts, don't we? Even if we do have certain external helps, many of us, that keep us from sliding as far as we might, when we take an honest look in the mirror, we know that something is amiss in our souls. Perhaps that's part of what compelled some of us to come into this building this morning, the realization that we need something. We need a change, and we have this hope that the message of Christmas might be able to bring it to us. And the Bible's diagnosis is that the root problem is not our circumstances or our families or our society or our self-esteem at bottom level, but our sin and the alienation that our sin has brought into our relationship with God. And when we come to such a realization, the realization that our sin is real, and that our alienation from our maker is real, when we realize that, then Christmas really is good news. Because Christmas is the news of a Savior here in Luke 2.11. And of a Savior who came to save us from the very problem that we see when we look at our souls in the mirror, from our sin, the problem which is really at the core and the root of every other problem that we face. In answer to our deepest problem... Christmas is the good news that there has been born for you a Savior, a Rescuer. And that is good news. And it's especially good news, as I've said at length, precisely because it is news and not instructions. Christmas is good news because it is a proclamation that God, instead of telling us to clean up our acts and to present to Him a better picture in the mirror, God has intervened for us. God has acted for us. God has sent someone to clean us up. God has sent someone to rescue us from our sins. And the good news of Christmas is that that someone is not just another mere human being like us, but a human being who is God made flesh. God come down and taking on our human nature. Not a human born into the same bondage of sin as we are, but God made flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God himself, come down as man to save his people from their sins. Joseph was told to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who Jesus is. God himself has come down. And this is why Christmas is so important. It is the inbreaking of God himself into our world to be born fully human and yet fully God and to enter into all our human experiences, even including our temptations, yet without sin. And this man, having lived sinlessly, was then qualified to die sacrificially, absorbing on the cross the penalty that is due my sins and yours, so that there is no judgment left to pour out on us. And thus we might be completely forgiven, exonerated, 
justified in God's sight. And so that the sin which separated from us from our maker might be taken out of the way and fellowship with God restored. Christ died for sins once for all, said the Apostle Peter. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Christmas is about a return to God. And because this Christ rose from the grave, we know that we can have new life too, both in the realm of the soul here and now, and in the realm of the body someday too, in the days of eternity. So that Christ's rescue, Christ's coming to save his people from their sins, means a whole new start. It means forgiveness from on high. It means a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. It means a newfound ability and desire to walk with God. And at the end of it all, it means eternal life. And all of this, I stress again, is news. It's not instructions. The message of Christianity is not, the message of Christmas is not get yourself right with God and climb the ladder to heaven. The message of Christianity and of Christmas is God has has done something to get you right with himself. God has sent someone to perform redemption for you and in you. And all of this is very good news. We must respond to it, yes, by believing the news and turning our hearts out of the ruts of sin and asking the Savior to work these changes for us and in us. But He's the one who does the working. He's the one who does the changing. He is the cleanser. He is the healer. He is the reviver. He is the restorer. And when we turn to Him in repentance and faith, we find even then that He is the one who gave us the strength to do so. And I urge you this morning to just cry out to him as such in your own life. As the Savior, as the Redeemer, as the Healer, as the Restorer, as the Reviver of your soul. His incarnation, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his rising from the dead on the third day. All of this was accomplished as the angel put it to Joseph in order to save his people from their sins. In order that his people might be liberated from sin's penalty and sin's power over our lives and the misery that attaches to sin. You shall call his name Jesus, for he in all these ways will save his people from their sins. He will make people whole again and forgiven and clean and new. And you can know today that you're one of those people. And you can be forgiven today and enter into a lifelong redemptive relationship with the Savior if you will cry out to him in faith, admitting your sin and calling out to him to save you because you cannot save yourself. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And as many as received him, John says, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And says Jesus, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. All of this is news, and it is marvelously good news. But then let me say as well that the news of this Savior was also not only good news, but anticipated news. Anticipated news. Did you ever wonder why the angel here in Luke 2 bothered to tell these shepherds that the Savior who had been born that night was born in, quote, the city of David? He could have simply said to them, today in Bethlehem has been born for you a Savior. That was the town's actual name, right? But instead, he chose to use this nickname for the city, the city of David. This nickname that would call attention 
to these men's hearts, in these men's hearts, to the fact that Bethlehem was the city in which King David had been born. And I wonder if you ever considered why the angel reminded the shepherds and us through Luke that Jesus was born not just in a city called Bethlehem, but in actually David's hometown. Well, the answer is because there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy that King David, the greatest of all the Old Testament kings, would have a son to reign on his throne forever. That the dynasty of David would be an everlasting dynasty. And yet by this time, that dynasty had all but petered out. To such an extent that Mary's fiancé, Joseph, whom we were told back in verse 4 had royal blood, the royal blood of David in his veins, Joseph, the descendant of the great Old Testament king, is working as a relatively poor carpenter. And so, what is to become of the family of David if it's gotten to this point? They're nowhere near a throne, it would seem. Well... There were other prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming of a great redeemer, an anointed one, a Messiah, as he's called in the Hebrew, or Christ in the Greek, English, who would come and who would rescue God's people. And when you put these prophecies about the coming anointed one, the coming Messiah, together with this prophecy about David always having a son to reign on his throne, you come to understand, and in those days it came to be understood that this Messiah or Christ in the Greek would also be the answer to the riddle of David's fallen dynasty. That the promise both of an everlasting Davidic dynasty and of the coming of an anointed Messiah would be fulfilled one day in one man in the coming of a great king from David's bloodlines to rule on David's throne and to rescue God's people as the Messiah would do. And the angel actually gives the shepherds two indications that this baby, born in Bethlehem that night, to be found lying in a manger, the angel gives the shepherds two indications that this baby is, in fact, that long-awaited son of David. Because not only does he remind them that the city in which they will find them is in fact David's hometown, but he also calls this child at the end of verse 11, Christ or Messiah. And what all that means is that the child of Bethlehem, the son of David, did not come like a lightning bolt out of the clear blue sky. He had been long announced, long prophesied, long anticipated, long hoped for by the faithful in Israel. The news of his birth was, for the faithful at least, anticipated news, longed for news. And I say all that so that I can remind you of a couple of things as you consider the news about Jesus this morning. One is simply that if Jesus had been so long anticipated and so long prophesied on the pages of the Old Testament, hundreds of years in advance of his birth, that gives us a pretty good indication that this book open on our laps this morning is a book from God. The prophecies were true, and the prophecies were fulfilled, which means they weren't just the fancies of a few ancient religious gurus, but that these men must have been speaking from God, who is the one who knows and orchestrates the future. That's how they knew what would happen. And so if you're here today, 
And part of your wrestling, perhaps, with the message of Jesus, or even just part of your questions about this whole Christmas story have to do with whether or not they might just be really quaint fairy tales that teach us some lessons but aren't actually documentable history, I just urge you to consider the evidence for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as documentable history, and then go back and look at the places in which the Old Testament, in various books and describing various parts of Jesus' life, the Old Testament prophesies and anticipates and announces these things in advance. That can be your research project between now and the new year. And as you look at these things, ask yourself if such exact prophecies written centuries beforehand would have been fulfilled if they were merely of a human origin. Jesus was prophesied centuries in advance to be born into the family of David, to be born in the city of David, to be born of a virgin, and so on. And it happened. And all this is worth pondering if you have questions about the divine nature of this book. And it's worth pondering, too, if your Christmas meditations, just sort of by cultural default, tend to focus on the quaintness of the manger and the animals that may have been there and the possible silence of the night and so on. Uh, The whole scene in Bethlehem is quaint, of course, and I like quaint, especially at Christmas time. But you know, all the prophecies hinted at in these words, the city of David here in verse 11, remind us that this was not just a quaint night. This was the night toward which all of history to that point had been inexorably advancing. As Philip Bliss wrote marvelously, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee in Bethlehem tonight. The hopes and fears, the expectations of all of these centuries of waiting for the Messiah to come, these hopes and fears converged on Bethlehem in that one holy night. And this is why our calendars are dated from this event, isn't it? Because this was the night of all nights. The night and the subsequent 33 years that came with it were the centerpiece of the world's history. So that Christmas and the baby in the manger so long anticipated and longed for are far more cosmic than they are quaint. And we need that element in our Christmas too, even all the more than the other. This is an amazing thing that David's son so long for centuries awaited has come. It's the center of history in this world as we know it. He is not only the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay, but the long-awaited, long-prophesied, anointed one. And that's good to remember. So then Christmas and Christianity are about news, good news, anticipated news. And then finally and briefly, Christmas and Christianity are about inclusive news, inclusive news. Now, before we look back at Luke 2, you may have heard it said that Christianity is a narrow religion, an exclusive religion, an exclusive faith. And that's true insofar as Jesus himself said that he is the only way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, he said in John 14. And so Christianity is exclusive in that Christ is the one way, the only way to God. And yet, Christianity is incredibly inclusive in that everyone is invited to come along that way. 
Everyone is invited to come to Jesus, and that's just the truth that we find here at the end of Luke 2.10, isn't it? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. In other words, Jesus didn't come into our humanity, into that manger, onto the cross, into that tomb, only for his Jewish countrymen. Nor did he come for the social elite, only as evidenced by his birth into a poor family and by the first to hear his birth announcement being shepherds. Jesus didn't just come for one class of society. He didn't just come for one ethnicity or nation, nor for any certain kind of person whose maybe their sins aren't as bad as the next guy's. He came for all the people. Really bad people, people who have been protected from being as bad as they might. People from... The Eastern Hemisphere and the West, people from the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern, males and females, little boys and girls, grown men and grown women, old people, every stripe of person that you can possibly think of, every way in which we divide up our demographics, when we take our census, Jesus came for every part of the grid. Good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Every stripe, personality, and background, which is why, incidentally, we have that wreath hanging on the wall and why we're collecting an international missions offering that it symbolizes. Because we know Jesus didn't just come for Americans or for people who live in nations that already have the gospel with easy access, but that this good news of great joy might reach people in every corner of the globe. That's why he came. And this is why, if you're here as our guest today, this is why someone invited you. Or maybe why you found us on Facebook or you saw our yard sign. However you got here, the reason is because this news of a Savior, we have determined is too good for us to keep just within the bounds of our little church family that's already coming to know it. We want everyone to know it. The angel said that it was good news of great joy which will be for all the people. And we take that seriously. And so we're glad if you're a guest that you're here today. And if you're with us For the first time, or maybe you're hearing some of these biblical truths for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, or if you're just wondering, is this really for me? I say to you on the authority of Luke 2.11 that it is. Maybe you don't have a lot of religious background. Well, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, religious background or not. Maybe there's some sin in your past Or even in your present, and this could be for any of us, even the people who are here every single week, there might be some sin in your past or even in your present that is so dark you wonder if God would ever forgive it. But behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be not just for the people who haven't really messed up, but for all the people, no matter what their sins. Remember that Christ came to save his people from their sins. And so far from being an obstacle to Christ welcoming you, your sin is the very reason why he came, and so is mine. And he will welcome you if you will repent and turn to him in faith. And whatever else it might be that you might think would render you unwelcome with God, I say to you that the news of Christmas is inclusive news. It is news for all the people, for anyone who will have it, for anyone who will believe it, for anyone this morning who will repent and turn to the Savior. The news is for you. If you will but turn to Christ. And I urge you to do it. We invited you this morning to this service, guests, for the very purpose that you might. 
Your parents bring you every week, children, for the very purpose that you might turn to Christ. You who are here, adults, every week and who have turned to Christ, you come and I speak to you of Christ again every week so that you'll keep turning to Him and keep trusting Him and keep hoping Him in Him as the one who is your Redeemer and who will continue to be your Redeemer all the way until the end. I've striven to show you today that Christmas and Christianity are news a proclamation of what God has done for you, not a set of instructions about what you must do for Him. And now I must urge you very simply to believe that news, to take it to heart and to respond appropriately by embracing the Savior that I have come to herald, knowing that He Himself has said, the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord.